0: The word of God that we read in connection with Lord's Day four of the Heidelberg Catechism is Psalm eighty-five. Psalm eighty-five. We'll read the whole of that passage of God's word. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his step. Read God's Word thus far, and it's on the basis of that passage, many other passages of Scripture, and really all of God's Word that we are instructed in Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and questions 9, 10, and 11, let's read that now, Lord's Day 4. Question 9, doth not God then do injustice to man by requiring from him in his law that which he cannot perform? Not at all, for God made man capable of performing it, but man, by the instigation of the devil and his own willful disobedience, deprived himself and all his posterity of those divine gifts. Will God suffer such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? By no means, but is terribly displeased displeased with our original as well as actual sins and will punish them in his just judgment temporally and eternally as he hath declared Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Is not God then also merciful? God is indeed merciful but also just. Therefore, his justice requires that sin which is committed against the most high majesty of God be also punished with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. So far, beloved, in the first part of the Heidelberg Catechism, We have been instructed concerning sin itself. That has been the focus. That is, the Catechism has been teaching us about sin as it is in us. The Catechism has taught us and shown to us that we are sinners and that on account of sin, we are miserable, spiritually miserable, and that our spiritual misery is great. Great because by nature we are prone to hate God and the neighbor. Great because by nature we are incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness. And great because it's our own fault that we are this way. We cannot blame God for it, and we cannot blame anyone else for it. Our misery is great. The Catechism, having set forth what sin is, and what sin is as that sin is found in us, now, as it were, in this Lord's Day, brings God into the picture. That is, brings God more into the picture, brings God into the picture more directly and more specifically and more explicitly. And in doing so, it answers the questions, what does God think about us as sinners? And what does God do about us and, and about our sins? What is his attitude? How does he view it? How does he deal with sin and sinner? And you'll notice that this Lord's Day, in doing that, speaks about the justice of God. If you look at all three questions and answers in this Lord's Day, they speak about God's justice. God is, and that means that God is never unreasonable, God is never unfair in any of his dealings with sinners, and in any of his dealings with their sins. God is always just. God always does what is right in his reaction to and dealings with sin. That's what we learn about this morning, and that's a necessary part of the gospel Necessary that this be preached, and necessary that we as sinners consider this. Not in order to destroy our faith as believers, not so that this creates despair in the child of God and increases the misery and the consciousness of our misery on account of sin. Not so that we go home after church this morning, desperate and comfortless, and say, there's no hope for me, but so that we hear once again, and are reminded once again, of the blessing of belonging to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we hear again concerning the wonderful salvation that we have in Christ, as that is stated in Psalm 85, verses 1 through 3. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. And so we can hear again this morning, Jehovah speaking peace to us. As that's mentioned in verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. Consider then God's just dealings with us as sinners. And notice his great displeasure, his just punishment, and his marvelous mercy. The first thing that this Lord's Day mentions is that God is just in what he demands of us. That really ties this Lord's Day to the previous Lord's Day. Doth not God then do injustice to man by requiring from him in his law that which he cannot perform? And the answer, not at all. God is not unjust in demanding that we obey him. God is not unjust in requiring that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And God is not unjust in requiring this of us, even in view of the fact that we are incapable of doing it. And why is God not unjust? God is not unjust because He created us with the ability to do what he requires. He created us, as we learned in the previous Lord's Day, in his image, in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. As man came from the hands of his creator, he was capable of keeping the commandments of God. And As we saw last week, our inability to do what God requires is not God's fault, but our inability to do what God requires and expects of us is our own fault. The only reason we cannot obey God is because we were the ones who threw away our ability. as the answer of this quest, to this question points out. But mayor, but by the instigation of the devil and by his own willful disobedience, deprived himself and all his posterity of those divine gifts. But man. It's man's fault that man cannot obey God's commandments. And therefore, God is just in what he demands. God has every right to require that we keep his law. God has every right to require that we love him and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And therefore, And that's the main point and thrust of this Lord's Day. Therefore, if we do not keep the laws of God, God has every right to be terribly displeased with us concerning that, and God has every right to punish us for that. Our inability to keep God's law makes no difference with regard to God's right to be terribly displeased and to punish for sin. Striking and important for us to notice that the Catechism says in answer 10 that God is terribly displeased with our original as well as actual sins. And what's striking there is that word, our. God is terribly displeased with our sins and terribly displeased with us when we sin. God is not only displeased with the sins of the ungodly, God is also terribly displeased with our sins. Displeased with our original sin and displeased with our actual sins. Never does God say, those are just small sins that I can overlook. But always, God says, every sin is a great offense to me. And notice that in the language of Psalm 85, too. Psalm 85, of course, is speaking of it as that which God has changed. God has taken away his wrath. But notice what it says concerning the reality of the wrath and anger of God against his people for their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath, thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger, turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? And that, too, is speaking about the people of God, not God being angry merely at the sins of the ungodly, but God being angry at the sins of his church, God being angry at the sins of his people, God being angry at us for our sin. And what makes our sins especially offensive to God, that is, our sins as the people of God, especially offensive to God, is that our sins are covenant transgressions against God. God has established his covenant with us. And God, in establishing His covenant with us, has taken us to Himself. He has brought us into a covenant relationship with Himself, a relationship of friendship and fellowship. We are the covenant people of God. And that's not simply something that's future, a future plan that God has for us, but that's a present reality. For us, we are the covenant people of God. We are in that relationship, that special relationship to God. And when we sin, we sin against him who is our covenant father and friend. We sin against him who has shown his loving kindness and goodness to us. That puts our sins in a different category from the the sins of the ungodly. We sin against the God who is merciful to us, who is kind to us. We sin against the God who is compassionate toward us. We sin against the God who has forgiven us our previous sins. We sin against the God who in His sovereignty works all things for our spiritual and eternal good. You could say that the sins of the people of God, therefore, are more serious than the sins of the ungodly. Maybe you could compare it to this. If one of your children would slap in the face someone who is a total stranger versus your child, one of your children slapping you, their parent, their loving and good parent in the face, you can understand what a difference that is. And that's effectively, that's basically what the people of God do when we sin against God. That adds to the greatness of our offenses, covenant, transgressions against our covenant, God and Father in Christ. God is indeed just, therefore, in being terribly displeased with us for our sins, as the Catechism says. It's not ordinarily how most people think about sin today. The common approach that men take with regard to sin is this, that the only thing you really need to worry about is whether you get caught by someone for your sin. You don't have to consider God, just consider men. If you get caught, yes, then you will have shame. If you get caught by someone, then you could be embarrassed and you could be viewed negatively and you could have your name and your reputation ruined. But if you can avoid others finding out about your sins, then everything's fine. You really have nothing to be concerned about, nothing to worry about. So just make sure you don't get caught. That's it. Don't get caught by your parents. Don't get caught by your spouse, your employer. Don't get caught by the authorities in the land. Don't get caught, and you will be fine. That's the general approach that is taken towards sin. We have to be careful, beloved, that we're not affected by that, and that we never forget God when it comes to sin. Maybe we are sometimes affected by it, affected by it this way, that we will admit that there are some sins that are very serious sins, gross public sins, sins like adultery and fornication, sins like abuse, sins like drunkenness and use of drugs, and we consider them to be very serious sins because of the damage that they cause and the hurt that results from those sins and because they are public sins, and also because of the shame that those kinds of sins bring upon the church and bring upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true. That cannot be denied. Such sins are serious indeed. but we must not proceed from that as we are perhaps inclined to do and think to ourselves that other sins that do not fit in that category of being gross public sins, namely my own sins, are simply minor. Sometimes I might tell a lie. Sometimes I might steal, I might curse, I might mock someone else. Sometimes there might be hatred in my heart against another person, another believer. Sometimes I might fill my eyes and mind with the trash and filth that is available on the television and the internet, but that's just minor, because I'm not hurting anyone. Those are just small sins in comparison to these others. And we conclude God shouldn't be too upset or troubled by my sins. God cannot and does not consider sin, any sin, to be a minor thing. Every sin, as the Catechism points out in answer 11, is a great sin, because every sin is committed against the most high majesty of God. God is a great God. God is a majestic God. He is holy He is a righteous God. He is the God who cannot sin, and he is the God who hates all sin. And every sin is rebellion against God, no matter how we might categorize that sin. And for us as the covenant people of God, our sins like a slap in the face to God. Sin is detestable to him. God is terribly displeased with sin, and we must be aware of that and reckon with the reality that that's true of our sins against him all of that. And when you once, beloved, by the grace of God, have a sense of that, then you realize God is making you realize and learn and know and understand that sin is no small matter for God and ought to be no small matter for us either. God is terribly displeased with our sins. Following from that, what removes all doubt that sin is serious and that God is terribly displeased with it is that God punishes as the catechism mentions. He must punish it. And not simply the fact that God punishes sin, but as the catechism points out, how God punishes sin. That is, how severe his punishment is against sin. God punishes sin, and God punishes sin already in this life, and God punishes sin eternally as the catechism mentions in question and answer 10. And first of all, he punishes sin in this life, temporarily, in time. Many punishments for sin from God. God punishes sin in general, and every person in the world is subject to those general punishments of sin that God brings upon this world. There is the curse on the creation. There are the thorns and the weeds that come into this creation. There is drought that God brings upon this world. There is the death of plants and the death of animals. Those are God's judgments, God's punishments upon sin. There are the terrible catastrophes that God sends in this world, volcanoes and earthquakes and floods and fire and warfare, which cause great suffering and kill thousands of people. And there are the general sicknesses and diseases that God sends, and there is hunger, and there is thirst, and there is pain, And there are earthly afflictions and troubles that are experienced in this life. And there is death itself as God's punishment for sin. God said in the day, Thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so death has entered the creation and death has entered our lives. Approximately 67 million people die every year. That's almost 190,000 people in the world that die every day because man is a sinner and the sinner must die. And we shouldn't be surprised by any of that. God is just. And God punishes specific sins. One way in which God punishes specific sins is through the consequences that follow from specific sins. If a person uses drugs or a person abuses alcohol, there are consequences that follow from that sin, including effects that he has to his health and including the inability to function properly. If someone commits the sin of adultery and fornication, there are consequences that follow from that sin. Diseases and the destruction of marriages and families. If someone tells lies, there are consequences from that sin. A liar is not trusted by anyone. If someone commits the sin of disrespect and disobedience toward his or her parents' parents, there, there are consequences, the consequence of living a life of disobedience to all authority a life in which one brings upon himself because of that all kinds of trouble and misery. God is just. And God also punishes specific sins through punishments that are brought upon us in society from our earthly rulers. There are fines, there is jail time. There is the death penalty. God also punishes specific sins through the punishments that he brings upon us in our homes and families from our parents and from teachers, the extension of the home. And in the church, God is just. And it is true. That all of those judgments and punishments of God for sin that come upon us as the people of God are because of Christ's chastisements for our sins. But the point here is, this is what we deserve. And we can never say God is being unfair in bringing these judgments upon us. We can never say God is being unreasonable. Sin deserves punishment. And the punishment that sin deserves especially is the eternal punishment that is mentioned in the Heidelberg Catechism. Mentioned in answer 10, first of all, He will punish them in his just judgment eternally. And then that eternal punishment is spelled out. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And then also spelled out this way, sin must be punished with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. Eternal punishment. God's eternal punishment of sin is the curse. To be cursed by God is to be driven away from God, driven away from the fellowship of God. To be cursed by God is to be, punished, to be pushed so far away from God, by God himself, that one is pushed by God into the depths of hell as the punishment for sin. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God. Eternal misery in body and soul. It is not true, as many many say and claim, God is so loving, God is so kind that he would not do that to anyone. That denies God's justice. We must maintain God is just, and God is just in punishing sin because sin is committed against the Most High Majesty of God. God is just in sending people to the place of awful awful torments, the bottomless pit, where there is eternal gnashing of teeth and weeping, the place of unending torments in body and soul. And it's an awful place. We only have to consider what Christ endured on the cross for us to understand how awful the suffering of hell is. He suffered the accursed death. He was accursed for us. He was forsaken by God. He experienced hellish agonies all his life long, and then especially on the cross, there was nothing Light about the punishment that God brought upon the Lord Jesus Christ. God was not lenient toward him. The punishment was extreme. And that's the punishment that every sinner deserves. Because sin is serious. Because sin is committed against God. And you and I deserve that punishment too. And so we are brought before and we face some sobering realities in the truth that is before us in this Lord's Day. First, this sobering reality. This Lord's Day places before us God's just demands. And secondly, this Lord's Day places before us this, that because we fail to live up to those demands of God, we confront and we face and we deserve God's just punishment for sin. And in setting those things before us, this Lord's Day also points out to us that there is no way of escape from any of this that we are able to come up with. We cannot say, God created me this way. We cannot say, Adam sinned, but I did not sin. It's Adam's fault, but not my fault. We cannot say, sin is not a very very serious matter in the eyes of God, so God will simply Ignore our sins, overlook them. We cannot say the wicked, they deserve to go to hell, but I don't because my sins are simply minor sins. We cannot say that. But as we face those sobering realities, Catechism says this, God is indeed merciful. And we are placed before those sobering realities so that we realize our need of that mercy of God. We are placed before those sobering realities so that we look away from ourselves And we look to Christ. This Lord's Day points out our only hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and that God is indeed merciful to us in and through Jesus Christ. God is merciful. God is kind. God is compassionate. God is gracious. God delivers us from our misery. And he is indeed merciful. That is, he is very merciful, and he is certainly, surely merciful to us. Again in Psalm 85, Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him. God is merciful in Christ. And it is an astounding mercy of God. The Scripture says this about the mercy of God in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. It's not just that God is merciful, which is a wonder by itself, that he shows mercy to the undeserving. But God is a God who delights in being merciful. He rejoices to be merciful. He is a God who enjoys showing mercy to sinners such as we. So much mercy that we are spared the punishment For our sin. But you must understand, beloved, the mercy of God is not cheap. And we'll learn about that more in the next Lord's Day. But just think of what our Lord Jesus Christ had to suffer, what he had to endure. He needed to take on himself our curse, that is, our eternal punishment for sin. That is, he had to take upon himself the extreme punishment for sin that the catechism mentions. He had to die the accursed death of the cross in our place. He had to endure eternal and endless and unrelenting wrath of God on him. Eternal waves of it. He had to go to hell and experience the hell that we deserve, the curse there. And we know he did from his cry on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what Psalm 85 verse 10 speaks of, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. God is a God of truth, and God is a God of righteousness, as that verse mentions. And God is a God of truth, is a God that is true to himself. That God is a God of truth, and God is a God of righteousness, means that sin must be punished. God cannot simply ignore it. That God is a God of truth and righteousness means the cross of Christ had to take place. And he was pushed far away from God and he suffered hellish agonies in our place. But as a result, God is merciful and God declares to us peace, as verse 10 also mentions. Through Christ our sins have been punished, and flowing out of what Christ has done, which he did obediently, and which he did willingly, and which he did in love for the Father, and in love for us, flowing out of that toward us, God is indeed merciful. The wonder of the gospel and of God's grace. So we praise God as the psalm sets that before us for turning away his anger from us through Christ, providing through his Son. The only possible way escape way of escape from the wrath of God. and By the gift of faith, you may know that God is indeed merciful to you. How blessed we are to belong to Christ. Amen. Our God and Father in heaven, thanks be to thee, O Lord, for... Thy great mercy to us. Thanks be to Thee for the gift of Thy Son and the covering of all of our sins. The Son of Thee, our God, being punished in our place and the gospel of Thy grace declared to us from Him and through Him our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.